let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for another Wednesday night and another opportunity, Lord, to <clears throat> to open your word and study and learn of your son, Jesus Christ, Lord. And Lord, I pray that uh, you might enable me tonight to be able to um, present your word uh, clearly and accurately, Lord, and rightly divide your truth in, in presenting your son, Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. So we're going to be in Proverbs 25, um, looking at just one of the many sayings or Proverbs of Solomon. And one thing that I've kind of started doing um, in my daily reading of the Proverbs, which I found to be really helpful, is as I read a chapter each day, um, one day for each, uh, one chapter for each day of the month, I try to focus in on on one of the sayings of Solomon, because the chapters are are filled with proverbs, filled with individual sayings uh, that impart wisdom. And I really started to think about this when I was noticing in chapter uh, 22, where he says, verse 20, Have I not written for you 30 sayings of counsel and knowledge? Uh, a rhetorical question there, but then it got me thinking, well, okay, well, what are the 30 sayings that he's referring to? And if you go to that section, and you, you can actually mark out what the 30 sayings are. And some of the translations will actually do that for you. They'll label them saying one, saying two, but... Um, it's been really beneficial to me personally to kind of hone in on one saying and really meditate on it. And so this is uh, what we're looking at today kind of grew out of um, out of that. So Proverbs uh, 25, uh, beginning in verse 1. These are also Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, the king of Judah, copied. It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. As the heavens for height and the earth for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. Take away the dross from the silver, and the smith has material for a vessel. Take away the wicked from the presence of the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness. So I wanted to take a look at this, and really it's probably more of a two-parter, really, um, I don't think we'll get to, to verses 4 and 5, but we'll see. So first, these, these two concepts um, of God concealing and the king discovering, of God concealing a matter and the king searching it out, is the glory of God to conceal things. And this principle you can trace right back to the very beginning of Genesis, where you have the tree of knowledge, a tree of the knowledge to discern between uh, good and between evil. And you can see there that God had concealed that knowledge from us. We were not, at that time, before we had ate of the fruit, we did not have the knowledge of good and evil. Um, and God knew that we didn't, we in fact did not possess the ability to choose correctly between the two if we had that knowledge. If we possessed the knowledge, we could not choose between the two. And in Romans, Paul says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, and also the knowledge of what is right, as he 
spoken of in the previous chapters, but not the ability to carry it out. So God had concealed this thing from them, and before eating, the knowledge was concealed, and we were in a state of innocence. But immediately after eating of the fruit, the knowledge of good and evil and the difference between the two, the knowledge of it was immediately crushing. They were immediately filled with guilt, shame, a feeling of exposure. In other words, it was God's great kindness towards us to conceal it from us. Um, And he says, and he encourages us even now to be wise concerning what is good, but simple concerning what is evil. Now, if and if we had remained in that state in the garden, we would we would only have known what was good, because we would only have known what God taught us. You see, so uh, the 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 tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a thing concealed from us. So I just I just kind of bring that up to show that it's something that's been there from this idea that from the beginning, this idea of God concealing. But I want to focus more really on the idea of of it is his glory to conceal a thing. To conceal it from the so-called wise of the world and reveal it to the simple. And if you go to Isaiah, uh, Isaiah chapter 6. Starting in verse 9. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So you have here again this, this concealing from them. Uh, of what's in plain sight, what their eyes see, they can't, doesn't penetrate into their minds, um, and what their ears hear spoken to them in plain language, uh, they have not the ability to uh, to understand and, and receive. And then, if you back up to Psalm seventy-eight. Starting in verse 1, give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. Check this out. I will utter dark sayings from of old. And then verse 3, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord. And his might and the wonders he has done. So this this uh, this mystery that he that he speaks of these these dark sayings of old that he refers to, but then verse three things that that we have seen that we have heard that have been passed down, uh, if you will, hidden in plain sight, not a note stuck in a book hidden at the bottom of the ocean or something. Um, it's almost like for me. It, my salvation was almost like in a mystery movie where all of the clues are given to you throughout the movie and then at the very end there's one last piece that 
suddenly you realize it's been in front of you the whole time. I feel like it's sometimes like that. At least that's a little bit the way it was for me. My eyes were suddenly opened to what I had read and understood before but didn't understand spiritually. It's um, and the telling of the in verse 4 of the glorious deeds of the Lord. And we intuitively acknowledge and recognize that there's a glory in how God has chosen to reveal himself to us and in his choice of, of uh, opening the eyes of the simple and concealing from the so-called wise of the world. And, of course, Jesus um, is the fulfillment of this, this particular um, uh, uh, psalm. In Matthew 13... Matthew 13, verse 34. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. And here he quotes Psalm 78. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Uh, so Christ, the word of God, revealed plainly to man, but yet concealed from them, uh, revealed only to those who, to whom he chooses by the Holy Spirit to, to, to open their eyes. If you back up to chapter 11 of Matthew, Matthew 11, starting in verse 25, at that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Um, so, again, uh, he's, re- he's concealed these things from the, from the wise. And revealed them to, to the simple, to little children. And that revealing is by the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. And we're going to look also at Jesus Christ being, being the mystery that God has concealed. The mystery hidden from ages past from the foundations of the world. But then also him being the, the king who searches the, the matter out. These things he's revealed to little children. And it's interesting that that what is so simple that it's described as something fit for a child is so difficult for us in our human wisdom to to receive and accept. Um, so what are these hidden things? Well, they're spiritual tr- truth. That um, it is the glory of God to conceal a thing. They're spiritual truth. They're the very word of God. They're the message of the gospel. They're, they're Jesus Christ. They're not um, some mystical talisman or, or some omen or a secret handshake or spell in, written in a book at the bottom of the ocean. They're spiritual truth. And they're things that we can't even understand, though, despite their simplicity, without the Holy Spirit. And if you think of the book of Proverbs, if you think of Proverbs as a whole, what is the book of Proverbs? It's a book of practical wisdom. They're, they're really practical, straightforward sayings 
that have to do with the daily living of your life, the daily putting into practice of righteousness. And uh, Solomon describes these sayings, these proverbs, this wisdom, as something that is hidden treasure over and over again throughout the book. Seek for it as for hidden treasure. And um, wisdom, when she cries out, she, she encourages that if you seek me, you will find me. Their, their godliness, their righteousness, their ma- and, and the maturity does not consist in a head knowledge of the Bible or of biblical facts, but in the practice of God's law, in the pursuit of righteousness, in the actual doing. Um, and it's significant because the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, which is an action. So here's the, the hidden wisdom of God, if you will, not the chanting of words from a book, um, but a soft answer turns away wrath. You see the, the difference between the two. We, we think of the one as some mystical hidden wisdom, but, but in reality it's, it's so simple. It's a soft answer turns away wrath. It's these simple things that have to do with the character of God and how, how, and how we should live. So we have to be careful of, of, of rote mental exercises in the study of the word with no spiritual fruit. And I, I know I often share this, but I, I just love the advice of um, a, a local pastor. Read the word for the concern of your soul, then the concern of your family, and then the concern of your neighbor. And I think that's, that's tremendous advice. It's the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the glory of kings is to search it out. Now, can every answer be found in the Bible? Kind of, a, It's a trick question. Because I would say that not every answer can be found in the Bible, but every answer worth asking, every question worth answering, its answer is in the Bible. Every, every question to which we need an answer. There are things that aren't answered. When will the Lord return? That's not answered. There's... Um, what did the seven thunders say? Well, that's sealed up. He's told not to write it. We don't know what they say. So it's a, little, it's a bit of a trick question. The point that I'm trying to make, the point I'm trying to drive home, is that we are given everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. Everything that we need to know is in the Bible. And uh, Peter bears this out in Second Peter 1.3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So not not all things pertaining to vain speculation, all things pertaining to life and godliness. Life being true life, being salvation through Jesus Christ, godliness being the putting into action of our faith, the putting into action of righteousness, both of which come through the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ according to this verse. So kind of what I'm driving home is is we focus on the basics. It, they're, they're, the hidden things are the simple truths of the word, the, the foolishness, if you will, of the gospel. And in fact, we will exhaust our life, will exhaust our breath, before we ever plumb the depths of, of the simple revealed truth. We'll, we'll pass on before we ever uh, 
conquer the art of patience, for example. We'll never perfectly conquer the art of patience um, in this life. We'll, we'll die before we, uh, before we accomplish the very basic things that God uh, instructs us of in the Word. The things that concern our daily living, godly living. And if you uh, look at the book of Deuteronomy, at the giving of the law... Because this is something that I struggled with about this idea of these of hidden things, and if that is different than secret things. In Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may action do all the words of the law. So the revealed things, the the simple, this is what God requires of you. And the hidden things we leave to God. So I want to draw a distinction between there are things that are secret, that we cannot know, that we will never know, uh, and, and many things that we're encouraged not to try to know or speculate about. But there are also things that are hidden that we are meant to search out that we're meant to find. Um, and again, I, m- I mentioned the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. That's, it's, an, it's an action. It's not a, knowing a secret, but it's, it's an action. It's the fear of the Lord. And isn't that what the Beatitudes are all about as well, is, uh, is our attitudes and not, um, not head knowledge. And you can compare this also when... Um, uh, when God speaks to them before they go into the land over and over, he tells them that if you turn away from my covenant, if you turn away from my laws, this, 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 and this will happen. I'll turn my face against you. I'll hide my face from you. But then he also always says, if you turn and you search for me and you repent, you will find me. It's the glory of God to conceal a thing. It's the glory of kings to search it out. And then flip over to Ecclesiastes 12, another book concerning um, concerning practical things, concerning the, the meaning of our life. Ecclesiastes 12, starting in verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings of Proverbs. They are given by one shepherd, And then verse 12 is very important. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness to the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And then, um, backing up just to the end of Proverbs, Proverbs 30, verse 8. Remove from, far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. I'm seeing a little bit from Larry here. Um, but this idea of fill me for the, with the food that is needful for me. This is... 
is it's not this practical, of course, as, as well, but it's also spiritual. What is the food that is needful for us? It's the it's the spiritual food. It's the true bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but we feed on the word, and that's what is needful for us. Not not the vain speculation about things that are, that are secret, but the seeking out of the simple truths. And without the word, you have you have spiritual famine. And of course, Isaiah fifty five. Um, Man shall not live by bread alone. And I think we're, I'm going to actually jump there real quick. Uh, Isaiah 55, starting in verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to, diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me and hear that your soul, so we're speaking spiritual things, may live. And I will make you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. So again, we're talking about something that is um, hidden, which Solomon tells us is glorious to search out. Um, one of my favorite uh, of Solomon's Proverbs is the beginning of wisdom is get wisdom. <laughs> it, it's so simple. The beginning of wisdom is get wisdom. I, lo- I love the simplicity of that. We're not talking about something hidden that should remain hidden, but the Proverbs are about seeking wisdom that God says is hidden like treasure. So here Solomon's not saying Leave the searching out of the things of God to the, the, to the high and mighty, but rather that even for the king, the highest glory he can achieve is to search out the things of God. That's, that is his highest glory, is to search out the things of God. Um, I want to kind of keep uh, beating this horse a little bit, uh, this idea of, of the simplicity of it, um, jumping over to First Corinthians, First Corinthians, Corinthians three, starting in verse one. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So Paul here is admonishing them that that he fed them with milk. And indeed he is still, as he is speaking in Corinthians, feeding them with milk. That these things that he's telling them, that these are the basic principles. These are the basics. Uh, because they're not ready for, for heavier things. And that's kind of humbling. Um, one of my favorite sections of scripture um, is in Romans six nineteen, where uh, Paul has been talking about, he's been drawing this very, uh, what to us feels like very complex um, 
step-by-step working through of the gospel and how all have sinned and uh, death through Adam reigning and us being slaves to sin and slaves to the law and being freed from the law and all these concepts that really are, are kind of a challenge to work through. And then at 619, he says, this is very humbling, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. It's like, ooh, after all of that, you're, you're dumbing it down for me. This, this is the dumbed down version. Um, and then Colossians chapter 1 Colossians one twenty four. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery, the word of God, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Um, so Jesus Christ being the the mystery hidden for ages past that he's making known to the Gentiles, which is considered by them foolishness uh, and a stumbling block to Jews, uh, but revealed to those to whom God has chosen to reveal it. And um, he says also that uh, he, I think this was in uh, Corinthians as well, that I decide to know nothing among you except Christ crucified. So these things that he's presenting to us are the basics of the gospel of Christ. Um, I've been in churches before where the teaching is very, very, very surface, almost barely skips across the word at all. And um, and the uh, the defense for that was that the, the people are not ready for solid food. They, they need the milk. They need, uh, they need it to be simple. So, and there's a, there's a place for that, absolutely. But all of the word is the simple gospel. Um, God hasn't given us anything that's, that's uh, too high and, and mighty for us. But the things that are revealed are the, are the milk. They are the things, the basics that we need for our spiritual walk with Christ, which is why we shouldn't shy from just diving into the Word and just teaching it, and, and the sheep will be fed. Um, Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews 5, starting in verse 11. About this, we have, oh, and this is another book that if you try to read through it, it's, there's some hard stuff. It's, it can be a challenge to, to understand some of it and the, and the arguments that he's building and the analogies that he's using. And then he says in verse 11 of chapter 5, 
About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since we have become, here's the key, dull of hearing. It's a spiritual condition which keeps us from from understanding intuitively. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food, so now we learn what the solid food is. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by the constant, another action word, practice to distinguish good from evil. So the, the reaching of maturity is the putting it into practice. And I want you to keep that, that phrase in mind of uh, to discern good and evil um, as we consider this concept of it's the glory of kings to search things out. Um, and I kind of want to explore this in two realms, a practical because it's Solomon, a king, speaking of kings, plural, so human kings, uh, leaders, but then also uh, uh, spiritual with Christ as our king. And, and kind of look at these two different um, those concepts. Um, if you uh, turn to Proverbs uh, 20, Proverbs 20, verse 8 says, A king who sits on the throne of judgment winnows all evil with his eyes which has immediate significance for Christ as king, if you think about that, and how God has handed him the judgment. Uh, uh, John the Baptist describes him as uh, he ha- his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he'll divide the, 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 the wheat and the tares. So I wanted to consider, um, again, thinking of the context and of who's writing it, this idea of the king sitting in court. And this was a, this was a common practice uh, of the day. You, you see it actually throughout in the, in the Old Testament itself. In the Bible, you have David sitting in court and people coming to him to have decisions rendered concerning whatever you know, matters. Um, you have, I uh, can't remember if it's in Samuel, I think it's in 2 Samuel, uh, where Absalom is sitting in the city gate and he's stopping the people that are going to the court of David, right? So you have David sitting in court. Um, and this was a common practice all through the uh, ancient times, um, all through the, the dynasties of the, the European kings. Um, and in fact, even today, this very day, um, in Saudi Arabia, where they still have a monarch, uh, it's a tradition, it's a custom for him to have days where he sits in court and for, for lay people, for the citizenry, to come to have decisions decided for them. It's more of a ceremonial thing but now, but I was thinking about this idea of this king sitting in court, and what kind of king receives glory and praise? It's one who can render true and just decisions. It's one who can discern between opponents, between good and evil. And if you consider Solomon, and you consider the wisdom that God gave to Solomon, um, You'll remember one of his first cases that he had to deal with. You had the two women who both claimed right to the one child, and he kind of stewed about it and, and, and how, to, how to discern the truth, how to cut through it. Um, 
and you see the wisdom of Solomon there. And of course, what happens with Solomon? His fame and his glory spreads um, throughout the world because of his wisdom, because of his discernment, and because of his ability to to cut through the, the cloudiness, if you will. And a, and a leader, a king, has tremendous influence over his people. And as the leadership goes, so goes the church. So the point I'm slowly building up to, and I apologize for that, but the point I'm building up to is a leader had better be diligently searching out the things of God. That is the true glory of a king, is to search out the things of God. If you consider um, the book of Judges, the lesson of the book of Judges um, is that when you have a good judge, the uh, things are things are good. But when there is no judge, the people will fall they fall away. Um, it's the same story of uh, First and Second Kings of Chronicles. All through that, um, if there's a good king, things are things go well. Uh, if there's not, things fall into chaos. And then you get all the way up to Jesus, and he says the people are leaderless and harassed. They're like sheep without a shepherd. But the the leadership, the true leadership in God's uh, system is a spiritual leadership, not an administrative leadership. If you look at, um, for example, the early church in Acts, that one of the first things the, the apostles realized was that they needed to... Um, Established deacons to take care of the administrative functions of the church so that they could devote themselves to the study of the word. They, as the true leaders of the church, could devote themselves to the study of the word. Because if the leaders can't discern between good and evil, then how much, how much less the rank and file? Um, and of course, we've all been in a position, and this is kind of a negative example, but of having a boss, maybe, who didn't really know what they were doing and the chaos um, that that causes. So it's only, it, and it's only, again, in, it's only in God's system that the leadership is not administrative, but rather spiritual. Um, turn back, turning back to uh, the, the New Testament, to 1 Corinthians 6. When one of you, uh, starting in verse 1, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you not competent to try trivial cases? So you have here Paul telling them that um, in God, when God's kingdom comes... You're going to be sitting. You're going to be sitting on thrones, judging the world. Are, are, aren't you competent to decide these trivial things, these earthly things? Um, the scripture echoes the same idea of us judging alongside Christ in Revelations. Jesus tells it to the church in Thyatira, and he tells tells it again to the church in Laodicea. So the admonition here being that we ought to be competent enough in the Word. And we ought to be competent enough in spiritual things to be able to to discern what are really simple matters um, of, of this life. So Christ, um, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead of myself. So there's a high standard for the leadership. Then there's a high standard to which he holds these 
the, the king accountable to. If you look at James chapter 3, this is a familiar one. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Of course, we're all prone to sin. And in verse 2 he says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. So the reason not many should become teachers is um, one of the greatest ways that we slip up, that we sin in, in life, is in our words, in the things that we say. And so if you're talking a lot, you're going to be putting your foot in your mouth a lot. Uh, and then second, First uh, Timothy five verse seventeen. Let the elders who rule well, because again, this is a difficult charge. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and in teaching. going to get back again to this idea of the, of the glory of kings is of the, the leaders here. The glory of the king, their greatest glory is to search out the things of God. So in the leadership of the church, their greatest glory of the, of the leadership of the elders is to be competent in the preaching and the teaching of the word. And of course we all know the verse in 2 Timothy where he says study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of God. I'm sorry, the word of truth. And it's a, it's a tremendously sober charge because of who we represent. And there's a, there's a passage I ran across in way back in Chronicles that just really drew this uh, in, a, in a, a really vivid way. I'll just uh, flip there and read it. And this is uh, Jehoshaphat, one of the few good kings of Judah. And he appointed judges in all the land, in, in all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city. And he said to the judges, Consider what you do, for you judge not for man, but for the Lord. He is with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice with the Lord our God or partiality, or taking bribes. And that's a pretty um, sobering sobering thing to read, the, this admonition that you render judgment on God's behalf, and God does not show partiality. And so for the leadership, you, you better be searching out the things of God and be competent in the word, because you speak on God's behalf, and he'll bring everything into judgment every careless word. Um, and then you have uh, the whoever builds with wood, hay, and stubble will be shown what his works are. But if you build with silver and gold, so you, you better be building on that firm foundation, which is Jesus Christ. And of course, the not to forget that the charge um, does not extend just to the leadership alone, but that we all have the responsibility to be competent to, uh, as John talked about, been a few Sundays now, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God. We all have a, we're all held to the responsibility of, of knowing the word and discerning it and of being Bereans and going to the word and, and checking these things. 
And then, of course, what does Moses tell all through the, the giving of the law? He admonishes them, bind these around your, your neck, wear them as frontlets. Don't let this word of the law depart from your, from your heart. Um, but for the leaders, to whom much is given, much is, is required. Um, kind of as we finish up this, this section about the glory of kings is to search a thing out. Um, I wanted to look at this idea of discernment. And um, I noticed this when I was reading in, uh, I've been in Corinthians a lot, so I, I really noticed it in Corinthians. He talks a lot about discernment in Corinthians, and I think it fits well with this because as we're talking about the, the simple spiritual truths, the milk, if you will, uh, that's something that's taken straight from the Corinthians, this idea that he's feeding them the milk. But in 1 Corinthians, I just go breeze through a few little verses here. In 1 Corinthians 1.10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Well, what mind and judgment is that? Uh, is that? It's the mind of God, the mind of, of Christ. In chapter 2, starting at verse 9, But as it is written... What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of of God. For who knows the thoughts of a person except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And this is the same, this is the mind and discernment that he's, that he's encouraging them to have um, as they're, they're uh, bickering about denominations. And then he goes on in 14... The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is not judged. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have, here it is, the mind of Christ. And then in chapter 3, verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are but futile. So let no one boast in men. Um, and then he goes on to again call them out for their divisions. Their, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos. And he, he's called them out uh, several times on that. But then, after he's encouraged them to have one mind and to not judge one another's ministries, but to, but to accept that they're all uh, ministering under one, uh, one head, what does he say in verse 5, 3? He says, For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing referring to uh, a case of, of sexual immorality that was going on in the church and was being tolerated. So, in other words, 
um, this mind of Christ, uh, this bickering about um, about denominations and about worldly philosophies, he's telling them to jettison all of this, but to deal with the obvious sin in your life. And that's kind of the principle that I've been trying to bring out in these um, these the, the hidden truth of uh, that we talked about being the actionable principles of Scripture. Um, it's that we shouldn't be spending our time pontificating about uh, about uh, things that don't matter, about uh, silly human philosophies, but without dealing with the actual sin right in front of us. And I feel like we see this um, in churches all the time. We're very quick to give our opinions about various denominations and what our thoughts are about you know, this or that or... or weird speculation about in times but then when there's an issue in the church when there's a sin in the church when there's some, some problem we, we kind of hush about it nobody wants to deal with it of course the catch in all of this uh, is that a heart is, is deceitful above all things um, is the glory of of kings to search out a thing, but the very next part is as the heavens for height and the ocean for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. But before we go um, talk about that a little bit, I just want to wrap up this part with uh, tying it again back to Christ, who is the true shepherd, who is the true head, and this idea of what Ecclesiastes says that all of these are given by one shepherd. And while we are, while the the leaders are shepherds under Christ, He's the true shepherd. While we will sit on thrones in, in uh, judgment with Christ, He is the King, who is one with the Father, who Himself is the mystery hidden from ages past, but now made known, and at the same time is also the one searching out the things of God and revealing them to us through the Holy Spirit. He's the Word of God. He's the message from God sitting in judgment, winnowing out all evil with his eyes. Um, and it would be fitting to, to read from Revelations again, just to wrap up at the, at the very end. You have the angel standing on the sea and on the land, raised his right hand to heaven, and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled as he announced to his servants the prophets. Which mystery uh, Peter makes reference to when he says the prophets long to, to, to know what, what person was being indicated to them and the things that were being revealed. Um, after that, of course, you have the, the blowing of the seventh trumpet and you have the Ark of the Covenant. Um, uh, being revealed to them, which Christ Christ is the Ark of the Covenant. He's the one who holds the word. He's the one with the, the, the staff that budded. Um, he's the bread from heaven. He is all of the things that are in the Ark of the Covenant. Um, so you have the final coming of Christ and of his kingdom and the final revelation of the mystery. And then just to end, because I think I've out of time in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in verse beginning in verse 50 I tell you this brothers flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God 
nor does the the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. And then he just goes straight on to reveal it. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives to us the victory through Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So then, that final revelation of the of the mystery of God, the the final once for all establishment uh, forever of Christ and His kingdom. Um, I think I'm going to stop there uh, rather than going on to verse 3. Questions, comments, suggestions? <laughs> okay, that's fair. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word, Jesus Christ. We thank you for um, the work of your Holy Spirit illuminating to us your gospel and making known to us, Lord, the hidden, uh, the hidden things of Christ, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that we might um, hide these truths in our heart and put them into action. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen.